birthday, Platte Park Church. Great to be celebrating that with you today. <clears throat> Amazing to be here. Amazing to be here with you all and all the things that God has done these past eight years. And it's odd, but we're doing this series, Why Worry, today on a birthday. But, <clears throat> and I don't want to be the negative noodle, but I remember eight years ago, and I remember some worry. In fact, I remember laying in bed at night trying to turn my brain off as it was racing with worry. Have you ever laid in bed at night racing with worry as one thing adds on another and it just builds and you just can't stop thinking about those things, those troubles, the things that are wrong, and how it's going to get through? I do. I remember that. I know that feeling. <clears throat> but how about you? When do you tend to worry? You know, is it before you go to bed at night? different time during the day, when do you tend to worry? Or think about this, where do you carry worry in your body? Eight years ago, I remember carrying worry in my stomach. Like it was like a knot in my stomach and I wasn't hungry. Actually, I felt like throwing up sometimes. That's kind of too much information. But where do you carry worry in your body? I've heard some people say, ah, oh, I carry it in my heart, in my, it's like a vice squishing my heart and pressing down, or on my shoulders, or on my forehead. Where do you carry worry in your body? Oh, what's the deal with worry? Kind of consumes us, doesn't it? And for this worry, Why Worry series, we are going to use this image of two cliffs. And if you can imagine, one cliff is this place of worry and anxiety and fear, and the other cliff is the peace of God. Right? These are kind of two realities. We all know these realities. You know, on the worry-anxiety cliff, it's those places where fear rises up and we just get consumed by it. And we all deal with worry and experience worry in different ways. Like some of us, it is a daily reality right in front of us. And others of us, you know, worry only comes in the bigger moments. But we all experience worry and go to that place. We also want to be looking at the other cliff. What is the peace of God? And the peace of God is a great place. And here at church, we can talk about the peace of God because we have peace with God. You know, this is this great thing that Jesus has bridged this gap that we can now come to God confident before him. We don't have to worry or be concerned when we approach God because Jesus has taken care of all things that need to be forgiven. He's Set aside guilt, shame, everything. And now we can come to God and not worry because we have peace with God. And then we can experience the peace of God in our daily lives. And that's what we want to be talking about in this series. So in this series, we want to be looking at this passage from Philippians 4, 4 through 9, where Paul is writing to the church in Philippi and giving them instructions at the end of his letter and encouraging them in the faith. And in this, he has, you know, several instructions. Right in the middle is this very well-known, do not be anxious about anything, but by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So that's the center of his instructions. So we're going to look at that this morning. And before I read this passage, um, I want to set this up that Paul has a lot to actually be worried about. As he's writing this letter, he is literally chained to a guard as he's in prison for his work planting churches, his work 
sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, this idea of peace with God that's possible, he's in prison for this. And his worry right in front of him is, what's going to happen? Are they going to kill me? Am I going to just languish in this prison cell? What's going to happen to me? Also, he has this worry about all these churches that he has started. Thinking about those churches and all the people in the churches, he's like, what is going to happen to them? You know, they're going to face this same kind of persecution, the same trouble. And I want them to survive and do well and thrive through it. So here he writes this letter. And here we're looking at the summary of this, the last section of the letter. He's summarizing his encouragement to them to stand firm in the faith. No matter what trouble or persecution comes at them, to stand firm and experience the peace of God because they have peace with God. All right, let's look at this first section of Philippians 4, just first 4 through 7. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Mm. Amen. So, a couple of questions we want to look at this morning is, how do we find ourselves on the side of anxiety? And what is that cliff of worry? And then second, how do we cross over to the peace of God and get over there? So first, what is worry? How do we find ourselves there? And as we look at Jesus and some of the things he said, it's interesting how Jesus put together this idea of worry and trouble. Let's see how these two things fit together. And Jesus said this, Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Here's this interesting thing. We are going to have trouble. Jesus knows that. And we are going to worry about it. We're going to be concerned and care about it. But what Jesus is telling us here, it's so interesting. Hey, yes, trouble, yes, worry, but don't worry about tomorrow and all those future possibilities. Focus on what you can do today, right now. Stay here. So worry and trouble, how those fit together. But also Jesus said trouble and peace go together. Listen to how Jesus talked about trouble and peace and how those go together. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Ah, in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Our response to trouble is to be concerned. Isn't that right? Like trouble happens and our proper response is to be concerned, to care, to be like involved. But Jesus is saying, hey, you're going to have trouble, but don't let that trouble consume you. Instead, here I am, and I have overcome the world. I'm the container of God's grace that you can face that trouble in. Right? So when we get those dreadful phone calls, you know, loved one is in the hospital. That person is in trouble. And our care and concern rises up in us, and that is appropriate. It's what should happen. But then there's the two paths we can take. We can take the path over to the cliff of worry and anxiety and fear, or we can take the path 
over to peace of God. And what do we do over there? Consider this quote from Jacobus Mueller. To care is a virtue. To care is a virtue. But to foster cares is sin. For such anxiety is not trust in God, but a trusting in oneself, which comes to inward suffering, fears, and worry. The cure for anxiety is prayer to God and commitment of our way unto the Lord. Isn't that interesting? That to care is a virtue. You know, when we have a kindly regard for someone and we're genuinely, genuinely interested in someone and their welfare, that care is a virtue. It's good. But that same root of care, when it turns over to fear and anxiety, when we're unduly concerned about something, when we get caught up in the fear of it and we're just filled with worry, that's, that's taking it to the wrong place. And perhaps at times this is a very fine line between caring for something and worrying. But it seems incredibly important to point out that to care is a virtue. It is good. It's when we choose after that to go toward anxiety versus toward the peace of God. That's important. So here in this letter to the Philippians, we read the command. Do not be anxious about anything. And this word for anxious that Paul wrote, locked up with the guard, he wrote the word merimeneo, the Greek word for anxious. And here, merimeneo is something we should avoid. Do not be anxious. It's negative, right? But what's fascinating is you just go back a couple of sentences earlier in that same letter Paul wrote in Philippians 2.20, he used the same word merimeneo in a positive way. Paul says it here, I have no one else like him, speaking of Timothy, who will show genuine concern for your welfare. Isn't that interesting? Same word, but in a positive way and a negative way. And that's the, that's the fascinating thing about worry and anxious, that it begins with something that you care about, and it's a virtue. But it's then what we do with it where we take it next. You know, in this world, you will have trouble. There's no question about that. We all know that. We should be concerned and care. But what do we do next? Where do we take that? You know, it is proper to be concerned, but it's not proper in this world with, with God holding the container that Jesus has overcome the world to be anxious and worried and go to that place of fear. So in our world, we do have a cure for worry. We have a cure. We can keep care and concern on the side of virtue. And so what Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. There's our cure. But think about what our culture says is the cure to worry. Think about that song we sung at the beginning, or heard at the beginning, you know, don't worry, be happy. How often have you heard the world tell you don't worry, be happy, in the sense of apathy. You know, if you don't care, if you just push down any desire, well, then you won't worry. That's the, that's the way not to worry, is just don't care. Trouble comes along, just don't care about it. Ignore it, push it down, push it away. 
You know, we watched that video clip from The Lion King, Hakuna Matata. It meant no worries for the rest of your days. It's a problem free, right? So how does this play out in the movie? You know, Simba is faced with this responsibility of returning to become king. Here's this thing, and he's worried about that. He doesn't want to do that. And so what does he say? Hakuna Matata. It's not for me. I'm just going to push that away, and I'm going to just stay over here in my happy place. So apathy is something that we get called into as a way to avoid worry. But there are other ways that our world says to cure your worry. You know, maybe it's like this. You know, take matters into your own hands. You just cross that all by yourself. Or maybe it's better ideas. You know, you can have anxiety, but maybe better ideas will get you through and over to the other side. Or maybe just work harder. If you just work harder, then all that anxiety will go away. Or maybe just money. If you save more money and have more security in your bank account, then you won't worry. You can get to that other side of the peace of God. But I think what our world and our culture is telling us is, hey, yeah, just live over here on the side of worry and anxiety and have a few methods to help manage that. You know, if you have better ideas, work harder, if you make more money or save more money, then you'll be fine. You'll be able to deal with your anxiety. But I think Jesus and Paul are calling us to deal with the root and to actually cross over and experience the peace of God. And that's what Paul said. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. We should care. We should be concerned. And take those concerns to God. We have an outlet. We have a place to go with our cares and concerns. We don't have to ignore them or stuff them down. We can take them to God. And God's promise, God's promise is that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Susie's pastor growing up was Jill Briscoe, and I read about Jill and one of her tactics for dealing with worry in her own life. Um, she gives us, talks about this where she says, you know, I think about worry as a two-year-old having a tenter, temper tantrum. If you know what a two-year-old having a temper tantrum is like, they are just demanding all of your attention right then and there. And all you want to do is make that tantrum, tenter, temper tantrum stop. So when you think about worry as a temper tantrum, what do you do? You know, are you just going to distract yourself with something else? You know, are you going to try to discipline yourself and just, and just get rigid? Are you going to um, try to reason through this temper tantrum to get to the other side and make it stop? All those things and tactics for dealing with the tent- temper tantrum. Boy, that's a lot of T's. Temper tantrum of worry. But what Jill says, and this is her tactic, she says, okay, worry rises up in her. And she says, okay, worry, do you belong to today? Or do you belong to tomorrow? And if you belong to tomorrow, well, I am not going to worry about you because it is not my job to worry about you today. And if you are about today, I'm going to take that to God and ask God to help 
me be constructive with what I do with that worry? You know, to do something in order to work through it or to deal with it in a proper way. And when I read that, I thought that is very helpful, practical advice related to what Jesus said. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow, let that worry happen later. Worry about today. Worry about what is in front of you and what you can do right now. Another kind of interesting example was the filmmaker J. Arthur Rank, who as a follower of Christ was just trying to follow Jesus and live life and obey, do not be anxious about anything. But anxiety and worries just kept creeping in and just couldn't keep them pushed out. And so he made this pact with God. He said, okay, God, I am going to make a pact that I'm only going to worry on Wednesday. Wednesday will be my worry day. And so he made a box and put it on his desk. And every time a worry would come up, like on a Tuesday, he'd write it down, put it in the Wednesday worry box. Wednesday comes along, he opens the box, looks through the worries to start worrying about them, and notices that only about one-third of the worries are still worth worrying about because other things have come to resolution already. So care is our proper response to trouble. And then we take our cares and bring them to God. So second question, what is the peace of God and how do we get there? What's the peace of God, and how do we get there? Well, the peace of God is shalom, which means completeness, wholeness, well-being, universal flourishing. The peace of God is this idea that God is holding all things together in unity and togetherness. The peace of God is something that belongs to God, and he has it and takes care of it. And when we receive it, it is a gift from him. And here we see how the peace of God stands in absolute contrast to worry and anxiety. You know, we go back to that word for anxious, Mary Mene'ah. If you look at what that literally means, Mary Mene'ah, it means a divided mind. And isn't that what worry and anxious does? It divides our mind. It creates chaos. It takes us to this place of feeling out of control. But the peace of God, that's wholeness. That's security because it's located in God himself. So if we go back to that image of the two cliffs, anxiety and worry on one side, peace of God on the other, the peace of God is exactly opposite from anxiety and worry. And that peace of God is something that God gives to us as a gift. And I just love how Paul says it's the peace that surpasses understanding. Isn't that a great, like, it's beyond what we can even understand. So it's not like just, hey, you do these things and you will get this result. Paul's saying, hey, no, you do these things. Put your mind here with God and you will get an even greater result because God joins you in that. We have this great image also with that, that Paul says your heart and your mind will be guarded by the peace of God. And I like to imagine that literally God is like a guard on my heart, not letting any worry or anxiety come in. Not letting anything come in that's going to cause unrest or discord, but it's a guard keeping my heart. What a great image that is. So, God is guarding our heart. That's something God's doing. 
But what can we do? What can we do to get ourselves over to the peace of God's side? And for this series, we're looking at this passage of Philippians. And this next section, Paul gives us a list of virtues, a list of things that we can participate in that are like bridges crossing over, you know, going from the anxiety side, bringing us over to the peace of God so we can experience the peace of God. So here's the second section from Philippians 4. Paul writes, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. So this list of virtues, we're going to look at these throughout this, this series, this, this month ahead, and look at each one and kind of unpack it, and look at how it is a, a bridge helping us cross over to experience the peace of God. So, God is guarding our hearts, and in these virtues, it's a way where we are nurturing our hearts. We are nurturing what's happening in our hearts and bringing us to experience the peace of God. So the first word, and we're just going to look at it quickly this morning, is think about whatever is true. Think about whatever is true. And true, you can think about it in two different ways. True, first, at its kind of basic level, is what is true versus what is false. So think about what is true and don't think about what is false. You know, how often do we get caught up in worrying about things that aren't even true? You know, this is the classic marital example. I call Susie because I care about her and want to check in. I call her. She doesn't answer her phone. Why do we have cell phones? She should answer my phone. She should respond. And so what happens? She's not answering. I call her seven times. She doesn't answer. And worry starts to set in, right? And what does my mind do? It starts thinking, oh, she has been in a car accident, and she is somewhere hurt alongside the road, right? And that's how worry escalates. Now, am I thinking about something that's true? No. I've made this thing up. It's probably something false. What's true? What's true is that Susie's in a meeting, and she can't answer my phone right now. What's true is Susie's phone battery ran out, and she cannot answer my phone because she doesn't even know I'm calling. You know, what is true is that I did not take the garbage out this morning, and Susie's mad and does not want to talk to me. <laughs> that is true. You've got to think about things that are true, not false. Ah, but how often we make stuff up in our minds. We just make stuff up in our minds, thinking about all the possibilities of what could be rather than thinking about what is true. You know, Brene, Brene Brown talks about this, where she says, you know, we're making up these stories in our head about what somebody else is thinking. She says simply, stop that. Don't make up those stories. Just go to the person and say, I think that you think, fill in the blank, is that true? And then you'll either know, yes, it's true, and you should begin worrying about it, or it is not true, and you should not worry about it. Ah, and how does this spiral down even deeper when we get to those places where it's just spun out of control and now we're even looking at God and saying to God, you know, I, I'm not worthy of your love. 
I'm not worthy of your forgiveness. As I look out into the future, I don't see any possibility of it working out. And we spiral down to that place. And those thoughts, those are lies. That is false. That is not true. That is the product of your anxious mind at work. So think about what is true. You know, a second way of thinking about what is true is in the sense of reliability, stability, or faithfulness. And often in scriptures, this is the, word, the way the word true is used, or truth in the scriptures. That truth is something reliable and faithful and stable. And this is located in God. That God is the source of truth. truth. That he's the one holding it, keeping it, containing it. And that what this tells us is that truth is not some abstract idea out there, but truth is a person or personal, and it's being held and kept. So where do we look for when we look for truth? We look to God to reveal and show us what is true. What is true about me? What's true about this world and this situation? Ah, the most important thing, if you just want to write this down for the rest of this series, the most important thing about you is what God says about you. So what does God say about you? God says, I love you. John 3.16, very common, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. What else does God say? God says, I have forgiven you. So Romans 8.1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. You don't need to worry about that because you are forgiven. God also says, you are my workmanship. Another great word. It's poema. It's God, you are God's poem that he is writing. God cares about you that much. Ephesians 2.10 says, you are God's workmanship, created to do the good works that he has prepared for you to do. So those things are the true things that we keep in front of ourselves and remind ourselves with that the most important thing about us is what God says about us. Um, lately, I've been encouraged by somebody who's had a practice for many years of keeping truth in front of himself. And his practice, what he has done is had a little note card holder with little notes in it, and he's written on there verses, verses from Scripture that remind him of these truths. And he keeps in front of himself these things. So how he uses it, you know, in the quiet times of his day, you know, when something's just kind of a lull, he can pull those out and look at them and be reminded, try to memorize and work on the memorizing of it. But what happens when trouble comes, when he's discouraged, he can also then pull those out and be reminded. This is what's true, keeping his focus going in that direction rather than being pulled over to things that are false. What will you do this next week to keep in front of yourself what is true about you? You know, maybe you can make a card, fill it out, use it, and pull it out a couple times every day just to remind yourself. You could also grab our daily practice off the Platte Park Church app. If you get the app, it says media, and then it says daily practice. And that's simply scripture, a song, a question, prayer. And the daily practice is this simply the idea of pulling you back into what is true, what does God say, and centering ourselves there. 
The question is, how are you going to take the bridge of thinking about what is true over to the peace of God this week? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us peace with you through your son, Jesus, that he has paid all debts and that we are free to come and approach you. And now, God, in this life, in this daily experience, we want peace of God. We want your peace to guard our hearts. We want your peace to lead us through the day. And I pray you'd help us to think about what is true. And whenever a trouble arises, God, that we would bring that care, that concern to you and center it in you. Give us your grace to follow through on this. In your name we pray. Amen.